Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture as we wrap up the weekend, wrap up the month of November. Thanks for joining us. I'm just glad I have some voice left today. Got a little excited during my Cowboys game last night, but the voice hanging in there so far, and wow, do we have a lot to talk about, a lot going on. It is USMCA signing day. Of course, that's uh, that's kind of a preliminary step. They've still got to get it passed, especially in our Congress. That'll be a big challenge, but still, it's a, it's a big day for that. The G20 meeting's uh, really getting going now, and a lot of anticipation about the talks between the U.S. and China. Uh, the farm bill closer to getting done. Uh, they've got to go through all the technical stuff now. There are some uh, members of Congress already voicing some concerns, but uh, hopefully we're about to push that across the finish line. And it's a big day for renewable fuels. We get the uh, RVO levels for 2019, and we've already getting some sneak peeks there. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Here's what's coming up on our program. We're going to talk with. Uh, Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone talk about these trade talks and how the markets are reacting to them. We're going to talk with Michael Nevue. He's a Farm Bureau economist. We're going to talk about um, cage-free eggs out in California. They keep doubling down out there, passing propositions uh, uh, requiring cage-free eggs. What's that doing for both consumers and producers? We'll talk about that. How does it affect uh, other states as well. We're going to talk biodiesel with Kurt Kavarik with the National Biodiesel Board coming up as well. So we have a lot to talk about, but we're going to start it off with our good friend Bob Deneen. He is the um, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, good to talk with you. Big day for renewable fuels. Well, it uh, should be. Uh, uh, you know, there aren't very many secrets in this town, uh, as you well know, and in a couple of hours we do anticipate that EPA will release the the uh, required volume obligations, the RVOs, for refiners to utilize in meeting the RFS obligations for 2019. Uh, And we expected that they would be much along the lines of what was proposed, and they are, with maybe a a little bit of an increase for advanced biofuels, a 15% increase, which is, I think, appropriate and and welcome. Uh, But, you know, none of this will really mean anything if... Uh, EPA continues to grant waivers to small refiners uh, at the pace that they did last year and the year before. Uh, so for this uh, RVO or RFS requirement to mean anything, uh, they have to stop getting, giving out waivers like it's uh, candy. Yeah, not too long ago, this would have been very exciting. A, that EPA actually got the numbers out on time, and B, that, uh, you know, uh, the numbers are, are pretty good and maybe some improvements in some areas. But as you point out, all of this now has a cloud over it of the RFS waivers that EPA has been granting. Absolutely. I mean, we cheered enthusiastically a year ago when uh, this EPA, for the first time, uh, you know, got the RFS back on track by proposing 15 billion gallons for conventional biofuels for ethanol. We thought that was terrific, and they also did that on time. Unfortunately, before the ink was dry on that uh, regulation, uh, they began signing waivers, and a 15 billion gallon requirement became a 13 billion gallon demand uh, after they destroyed 200 So, uh, 
we are uh, cautiously optimistic that uh, with RINs trading as uh, low price as they are, less than a dime today, there's certainly no justification for continuing to grant waivers, and that Andy Wheeler, not being Scott Pruitt, uh, will have a a more uh, sanguine approach to uh, his statutory obligations with this waiver authority and won't hand them out like the, their candy, and, and we'll have a program that means something. So what do we know about the waiver process now? It's under review. They're, they're deciding how to move forward. What do we know about the, their approach going on uh, when it comes to RFS waivers? Well, you know, there have been some rumors that they've put the waiver process on hold. They have not. Uh, they do have... Uh, five or six waivers for 2019 already in front of them, uh, and we're certain that they will get more. They are taking a closer look, I think, uh, over the the criteria that they use to grant waivers, which we think is healthy. You know, the RFA and Growth Energy and some others are suing EPA uh, because we think that the criteria that they've used uh, over the past two years, not prior to that, uh, but uh, since Scott Pruitt was EPA administrator during that time, was completely inappropriate. And so uh, we are hopeful that the courts will, uh, you know, correct what was obviously an egregious abuse of EPA's authority. Uh, but uh, even ahead of that, I think the EPA is recognizing it's vulnerable in the court case, and it better take a look at just how it has been evaluating these waiver requests, and perhaps we'll see some change. I think that would be extraordinarily uh, positive. So we're expecting some uh, higher numbers for advanced biofuels in today's numbers. Is that right? Yeah, the, as we understand it, uh, the overall RFS obligation is going to be 19.92 billion gallons, which is up from a year ago. It's the highest ever. Uh, and that will include 4.92 billion gallons of advanced biofuels, uh, which will include 418 million gallons of cellulosic biofuel. That represents about a 15% increase over what was proposed for advanced biofuels and leaves, again, 15 billion gallons for conventional renewable fuels like corn ethanol. So it, it's, a, it's a good positive rule. It sets a, a good signal to the marketplace so long as tomorrow they don't start granting waivers left and right. Now, we've also heard some comments made that uh, they plan on meeting and getting this uh, E15 year-round rule taken care of by next summer. How optimistic are you that they can get it done, given the, the tight timeline they've set? Well, they continue to say that they will get that done by June 1st, which is when uh, the summer... VOC control season begins, and uh, marketers would need to have the volatility waiver in order to sell E15 uh, in the summer months. That is an extraordinarily aggressive schedule. Uh, perhaps they can do it. Um, I've been in, in Washington uh, perhaps a bit too long, and I've grown a bit too cynical, and I have my doubts, which is uh, frustrating, but uh, I hope to be proven wrong. Yeah, they've not given themselves much uh, leeway here, and 
yeah, I'm like you. I'm until I see it, I'm going to be skeptical too that they can pull it off. But uh, hopefully, they they will be able to. All right, Bob. Thank you. I'm sure you weren't as excited about the Cowboys' win last night as I as I am. No, I, I you know <laughs> I, I was taken aback by that, Mike. I never knew that about you. I'm a a strong Redskins fan, and you know, I know. the Cowboys and Indians are going to go at it again, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the year, pal. Okay. All right. We'll talk about it again later. All right. Thanks, Bob. Good to talk to you. All right, Mike. Take care. <laughs> Bob Deneen, he's the uh, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. So, yeah, those numbers coming out from EPA today, but, again, the cloud of the waivers hanging over them. All right, coming up next, cage-free eggs in California really has a ripple effect across the country. We're going to talk about that next. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button.
button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. California voters keep passing propositions that require cage-free eggs. This not only impacts the state of California, but other states as well. We talk about it now with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Michael, thank you for joining us. Um, Not only did we did the uh, California voters do this once, but they've doubled down on this issue, haven't they? Uh, Yes, Mike. Uh, Thanks very much for having me on. So on Election Day, the voters approved Proposition 12, which mandates that all eggs sold within the state of California come from a cage-free production system. Mike, you mentioned they had... Well, they've passed a few propositions uh, before. Uh, Those really only applied to eggs produced within the state of California. So now it's going to apply to any egg consumed within the state of California, wherever that egg is produced. So that's going to apply to eggs produced in Iowa and imported to the state of California. Yeah, that's a key. Now, that's the ripple effect I was talking about. This impacts the rest of the country, because if you're going to sell eggs into the state of California, they're saying they have to be cage-free. Exactly. This is, uh, the you know, it's the most populous state, uh, a major consumer of food. And like you said, it's, and this doesn't only apply to eggs. It also affects uh, gestation crates for hogs as well as veal production. So any of those products sold within the state of California have to be in line with their production practices that they require. Okay, let's let's talk about the impact of this. First of all, from a producer standpoint, what impact has this had on the California uh, egg industry, and what do you see as the potential impact moving forward? Well, with this one, uh, the impact is uh, going to be spread out over several years, so it's not like they made the deadline this month. Um, so we still have a few years to get things in line. And, you know, the impact last time, uh, one agricultural economist, I believe he was with Iowa State, uh, put the impact, and I'm sorry, I'm pulling up the numbers uh, right here. Um, uh, they increased the average price of eggs for consumers in the state of California by 22%, and it lowered production within the state by 35%. And that was just right after the original change uh, in California last time. Now, as far as, you know, the rest of this country, we've, we've seen this, you know, over the last several years, not just the state of California mandating it. You've seen a lot of action from companies uh, making these pledges to move to 100% cage-free all on their own. Now, this is driven more by, you know, organizations contacting them and encouraging them to make this change. So producers, for the most part, are really willing to produce whatever the consumers demand. So uh, last time that rolled out, they started to increase the amount of cage-free capacity that they had. The problem is consumers aren't necessarily buying it. They're not willing to pay the premium associated with it. So you've seen a pretty dramatic pullback in the amount of investment that companies are making into cage-free. 
Yeah, there, there's a key, and, and that's kind of what we were wondering when all this started happening. Would consumers, even if they said they preferred cage-free eggs, when, the, when it came right down to when they saw a higher uh, price tag, when they went to the store, uh, would they still have that same kind of a feeling and commitment? So what are you, what are you seeing as far as uh, uh, consumer purchasing uh, uh, habits? Are they buying fewer eggs then in California because of this? Well, uh, I think you nailed it right on the head with that question. Uh, if you ask a consumer or just generally anybody, uh, would you prefer cage-free eggs? Of course, a lot of them are just going to say yes to that. The real question that should be asked of them is, are you willing to pay a dollar premium for uh, a dozen eggs? And, and that's one where most of the consumers are saying no. So, like I said, within the state of California, you saw that increase in price and, and decrease in production in more of a general sense, across the U.S., uh, consumers are balking at that premium. Um, you see a lot of cage-free eggs, like you said, they're on the grocery shelf. Uh, the consumer has to choose between a dollar twenty here versus three dollars there, and that the consumers really just aren't making that purchase. Uh, that's why you've seen, like I mentioned, across the country, a lot of pullback in the amount of cage-free egg investment going on because. These guys are producing cage-free, expecting that premium because it costs more to produce cage-free. And sometimes they're having to sell cage-free as just conventional eggs because they just need to move the product. It's a perishable product, and, you know, these retailers want it right now. And if, if they're not demanding it right at that moment, they have a lot of cage-free, and they just got to get rid of it. Yeah, you mentioned cost of production. I remember a few years ago uh, talking about this when all this started coming up, and a lot of producers had to make some tough decisions. Uh, do they, you know spend the money it was going to take to make the change or, or would some of them just go out of business? What have we seen? Uh, well, you're seeing a big pullback in the investment. And, you know, like you said, it is a tough decision and producers are willing to make that change if consumers are willing to pay for it. Now, some of the groups who are proponents of these companies moving to 100% cage-free, they try to make the argument that, you know, once more producers are producing it uh, due to competition and efficiencies of scale, you're going to see that premium for cage-free maybe decline down to more of an acceptable level for the consumer. But companies can't just flip a switch overnight and make that happen. It's got to be over time. So unless you have this kind of game of chicken between consumers and producers is that, you know, producers are willing to do it, but they have to be able to sell the product now. And if consumers aren't willing to pay that dollar twenty premium that they're facing, then you get it's it's really hard to say where things are going to end up falling. We're talking with American Farm Bureau economist Michael Nevue. Uh, Michael, the bigger issue here, of course, as well is, and the, a big debate: should one state be able to basically dictate production uh, practices to the rest of the country? You know, that is a really good question, and uh, Representative Steve King out of Iowa definitely has an opinion on that. He introduced legislation and got it attached as an amendment to the Farm Bill called the Protect Interstate Commerce Act. Now, that could help, you know, like you said, nip that in the bud as far as whether or not one state can legislate how other states produce products within their own borders. Now, where that ends up falling in the recent Farm Bill, I don't know if it's going to be included, but that's that's one potential avenue. I know with the last round of propositions, there were several states that got together and uh, sued and tried to get it pushed up to the Supreme Court on whether or not dealing with it. And, you know, I don't know how that's going to apply to this new Proposition 12. Yeah, it gets into states' rights and things like that. It gets kind of complicated. 
it's really complicated, absolutely. Now, you pointed this out earlier. This isn't just about eggs. I mean, uh, we need to look at bigger picture here. What other aspects of uh, not only agriculture but commerce this impacts and could potentially impact in the future? You know, like we mentioned, this particular proposition uh, is only towards agricultural products, uh, not just eggs. It uh, affects uh, pork produced or, you know, those gestation crates for sows as well as veal production. Now, uh, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm just the economist in this one, and I can't I can't answer exactly the implications as far as you know, wide ranging across the entire economy. At what point does one state get to direct other states on how they produce? They have uh, definitely the right to uh, regulate the production of products within their own state. Um, like uh, Representative King's amendment, it only addresses interstate commerce whenever it starts affecting the production within another state. You know, it's one thing if you have a product. I say this about organic all the time. Uh, I'm not against organic. Uh, I'm just not going to pay more for the product that I don't, I, I don't believe there's a, uh, an increased value for. But if you do believe it, go ahead and buy it if you're willing to pay the money for it. You know, market it as such, and if you get people to buy it, fine. But this is this is a requirement. This this isn't just letting the, the market to determine which the consumer is going to buy. Exactly, and I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with you. I fully support organic as a production practice. If producers can make more money off of selling that product, more power to them and more power to the consumer if that's what they personally want to purchase, even if it's not something I want to purchase. But, uh, again, I absolutely agree with you. This isn't just offering a choice to consumers in other states. This is regulating how it's going to increase the cost of eggs to you, even though you don't live within the state of California. Because if more and more of these guys are moving towards that K3 production system, it does cost more to produce that, and you will end up paying more for the K3 eggs. So like we say with a lot of things, it's probably going to end up in the courts to decide? Uh, probably, and or I don't know how the legislation is going to end up. If uh, the King Amendment ends up in the Farm Bill, they they reached an agreement in principle. No idea where it's going to end up on that. Well, it's, a, it's an issue to watch because it has it, it really opens the door to a lot of other things that uh, brings up a lot of concerns when, it, when you talk about uh, movement uh, of products between states and also just about uh, consumer choice and production practices. A lot at play here, so we'll keep a close eye on it. Michael Nevue has been our guest, uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation economist, looking at the uh, cage-free issue in the state of California. Michael, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, we have much more coming up here today on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Glad you're with us. Stay tuned. More coming up in just a moment. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What, did he balance on that big chair? Yeah, I mean, I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. 
Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain futures trending higher ahead of the G20 meeting this weekend between President Trump and his Chinese counterpart. That is stoking uncertainty within the market. Trade ministers in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada taking a step on Friday towards easing trade tensions, signing a new North American Free Trade Agreement. The signing of the new NAFTA, rebranded, of course, as the U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement, or USMCA, concludes a tense year and a half of talks. Friday's signing starts the push to win approval from the legislatures in all three countries. Meanwhile, investors eager to see signs of a truce between President Trump and China at this weekend's G20 summit meeting in Argentina. In soybean futures, trending seven to eight cents higher in early trade. January contract at eight ninety-five, up seven and three quarters. In corn, the March contract up four at three seventy-seven and a quarter cent. Yesterday, sellers knocked the market off the intraday high of three seventy-five and three quarters. Forty-day moving average seen at three seventy-eight and a half. For the wheats, Chicago March contract up a nickel at five twelve and three quarters. Kansas City wheat three to four and a fraction higher. Minneapolis spring wheat two and a fraction higher on the March and May contracts. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, December up 52 at 117.12. Cash cattle bids being renewed at 183 dressed in Nebraska. Asking prices said to be around 187. Feeder cattle, January up 35, 146.35. Lean hogs, December down 47, 58.25. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. A lot of eyes, a lot of attention on the G20 Summit. What's going to come out of it? Um, Speculation, rumors, will anything really a substantial come out of it to ease these trade tensions, especially between the U.S. and China. Let's talk about it now with Arlen Suderman, 
Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for joining us. Already we've seen the market react to just uh, a comment that sounds positive, right? Absolutely. Uh, We just as well speculate like everyone else. Uh, We'll trade emotions today and maybe fear of traders getting caught on the wrong side if there is a development or isn't a development. And then on on Sunday night and Monday, we'll trade fact and what really happened. So uh, uh, I think some interesting developments in this. uh, Soybeans uh, tried to probe above their wedge formation. It's held the prices for the last several months. And didn't really hit a lot of buy stops above that and now pulling back a little bit. So a little bit of skepticism, perhaps wheat and corn doing a little bit better so far. We've been down this road several times here in the last few months, though. Uh, Anticipation, hope kind of gives us a little bounce. And if it doesn't come through what we're expecting or hoping for, then, then there's a drop. So how much downside risk is there here? Well, if this wedge formation on soybeans gives way, it opens the door for a move all the way down to maybe around the 760 area or so on the for nearby futures. So there is some significant downside risk. Does that mean that's what's going to happen? Well, it really kind of depends on what comes out of the weekend. Even if we get a deal in order to sustain a rally or hold prices, we need to see a substantial quantity of soybeans as a guaranteed purchase in the current marketing year. Uh, to really justify it fundamentally. There could still be a big emotional rally following it, but to sustain it, we need to see a big guaranteed quantity somewhere in the neighborhood of a half billion bushels or more. And uh, I don't think we're going to solve the problems between China and the United States this weekend, but I think what the market's just hoping for is anything that might say a ceasefire or an easing of tensions or something like that right now. Yeah, hard to imagine they're going to come out of this weekend saying, oh, we've we've got a deal. I mean, everything's good. Uh, but if they come out of it and say, we agree to keep talking, uh, maybe we hold off on any more tariffs in the meantime, just those kind of things that would be viewed as positive, right? Positive. But for soybeans, they really need to come out of this weekend with a, a deal to buy a, an actual quantity of soybeans. Because without that, you can have a lot of good feeling out there coming out, and the stock market would react to that, maybe corn and wheat. But for soybeans, with a big, massive crop coming on now in South America and the big supplies that we have here, we need an actual purchase agreement of soybeans to come out of this. Keep in mind, this isn't just about the tariffs. China has an an effective embargo against U.S. soybeans. There's buyers who want to buy U.S. soybeans, and at times it's been economical to do so and are afraid to do so. They've been threatened not to do so. So we need to see that reversed coming out of this weekend. Our soybeans are really under the pressure to make sure we plant a lot fewer acres this next spring. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. What do, what do we know about China's uh, situation when it comes to soybeans? Are they getting enough from South America, wherever they're buying from, uh, that they don't need uh, for us to uh, sell to them, or or is it starting? Are they starting to feel the pinch? What's the situation? Well, there's a lot of rhetoric, so what we do is sort through to what's actually happening in the cash market. And there's a couple developments on that. First of all, we're seeing soy meal prices really start to back off uh, in China. And that suggests that we're seeing a real weakening of demand for soy meal, not just because they've adjusted rations, but because African swine fever seems to really be taking a toll on hog numbers there. 
and so crush margins are turning negative. Now, I tend to be somewhat skeptical of tying crush margins too much or soybean purchases typically, but in this environment, we are seeing it, including a dropping of basis in Brazil well ahead of their harvest. Now, their harvest is going to be early this year, but we saw this basis start to drop already back in earlier in November as, as Chinese buying is starting to slow from them, not just because they're running out of soybeans, uh, that would seem to support basis, but uh, weakening beyond what they have available. So I, I think the African swine fever is really reducing their pressure to buy or find soybeans. Now, kind of lost in the shuffle, it's signing day for USMCA, the Mexico-Canada-US agreement, of course, still has to be passed. Uh, that's a big part of this, but uh, the signing of it... Uh, when we consider all the time and angst we had over it uh, for the last several months, uh, but it, uh, it's kind of uh, a little bit in the uh, in the background with all the uh, watch on the U.S.-China situation. It really is, and how ironic that is that uh, created so much anxiety for so long and a lot of uncertainty and. And, and more than the pros and cons of the agreement is the fact that we got rid of a lot of that uncertainty. We'd like to get to that point where we sign a deal with China to get rid of a lot of that uncertainty with China, too. And I think that would be great for the ag economy, the U.S. economy, and the world economy. But those tariffs on uh, Canada and Mexico, I mean, those still are having an impact, aren't they? Uh, they really are, and uh, we need to move forward in, in getting those tariffs removed. And, of course, ratification of the agreement is the first step in that. And um, But there's other obstacles that still need to be taken care of as well that really aren't getting as much coverage. All right. Uh, so let's, you know, it's, it's hard to ask for your outlook because we don't know what might come out of the meetings this weekend. But... Uh, uh, let's say nothing bad comes out of it as far as uh, looking like it's going to get worse rather than better. Uh, how do you see these markets going here the rest of this year? Well, for for one thing, believe it or not, no agreement would also remove some sort of uncertainty. And for soybean traders, I'm afraid that would mean we've lost our opportunity, and I'm afraid that would be bearish. And initially that would probably pull corn and maybe wheat down with it as well. But then I think as we got closer to the end of the year and into early 2019, uh, corn and wheat would start trading their own fundamentals. Wheat uh, is pricing itself back out of the world market today, um, but as on dips has been finding good buying uh, as it becomes competitive, and that I think increases as we get into 2019 and Black Sea supplies start to tighten up. That starts providing a little bit of support for corn. Corn needs to buy acres for next year. But I say buy, it may not have to bid much to get them if soybean prices are dropping sharply. So that's the big question. The less soybean prices drop, the more we can encourage corn prices to go higher. If soybeans fall out of bed, then corn prices don't have to go higher to get the acres they need. Yeah, let's talk about that buying of acres for next year. I mean, I just, it just feels like there's going to be fewer soybean acres regardless. But how much does the market have to uh, really... Uh, weigh in of, of buying more corn acres at this point rather than just letting it just kind of happen the way it is right now? Oh, we're really facing a situation where we lost a lot of corn acres in some of the fringe areas this last year. And uh, so can we really 
um, bring some corn acres back in some of those areas? Will the market do it? And then can we affect crop rotations in some of the traditional corn soybean states like Iowa and Illinois? Uh, right now, I think that we can our surveys, and we're surveying again now, our last survey was late October, it showed a move up to around 91.2 million acres, and I think with a 180 bushel yield, which I think is a fairly generous yield in a typical year, uh, we could go up to around 94 million acres without really damaging the balance sheet too much. If we get more than 94 million acres, then that's when we start turning things a little more bearish. Would uh, an announcement of an agreement on soybean purchases from China, if if that does happen here, say, before the end of the year, does that then uh, change that acres uh, uh, preview or scenario that maybe that brings back more soybean acres? If it's a substantial enough to really heal the soybean balance sheet, then all of a sudden we've got a situation where bankers are pushing farmers to plant soybeans because that's a lower input crop and we don't gain the corn acres that we need. The My balance sheet for 2019-20 is pretty friendly corn. Not, I'm not going to use the word bullish because people start thinking $7 corn, but it's fairly friendly corn if we don't get more a significant amount of additional acres. And so suddenly if we do get that deal that kind of gets the soybean balance sheet healthy and soybeans don't lose those acres to corn, then all of a sudden corn really has to start worrying about we better bid the price up to make sure we get the acres. Interesting. We've kind of gone from bullish to accepting friendly is the good news, right? If we can get friendly, (laughs) that's that's an improvement. Absolutely. We'd rather have a four in front of that corn price than a three. Right. And finally, uh, Farm Bill looks looks to be close to being done does does that is that just a given or does that have any market impact at all it really doesn't have any market impact of significant in the short term um i think the trade's been expecting it they've probably been expecting it to be delayed and be last minute and um but they've been expecting it to happen and, and in light of everything else that's going on it really doesn't change the dynamics of the market yeah, just kind of an assumption, although at times that assumption has been kind of questionable, but it looks like they are about to get it done. All right, Arlen, thank you very much. Uh, it'll be a big weekend at the G20 Summit. We'll see what comes out of it. Thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you. All right, that's Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. So much attention on the, this meeting this weekend and so many questions waiting for answers and give us an idea where we're going to move forward when it comes to trade with China in particular and, uh, you know, and with agriculture, so much uh, impact on soybeans and whether or not that market opens back up or not. Well, a lot of questions around biofuels. We started off the show talking about the biofuels and the waiting for the RFS numbers from EPA today. There's also some things going on that biodiesel uh, producers are paying close watch to. Tax extenders, what's being proposed, what may get done in Congress this lame duck session. We'll talk with Kurt Kabark with the National Biodiesel Board about that coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. 
If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Your local FS is member-owned. And that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit? 
low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots of news today. USMCA signing, RFS numbers, getting closer to a farm bill. So much happening. Still a lot to do, though, in this lame duck session of Congress. A lot of it has to do with taxes. When it comes to the biodiesel industry, uh, what about the the, the biodiesel tax uh, credit and getting that uh, getting it back on a regular basis rather than having it off again, on again. Let's talk about that with Kurt Kavarik, uh, National Biodiesel Board's Vice President of Public Affairs. Kurt, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we've had some things happening uh, with the uh, the tax extenders. Where do we stand right now? Yeah, good morning, uh, Mike. Glad to be with you. So um, on Monday evening, the House uh, Chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Chairman Brady of Texas, introduced a uh, I think it's about a 300-page bill to deal with some year-end tax business. Included in that uh, was an extension for what we call extenders, about 25 to 30 provisions that need to be renewed on a somewhat regular basis. One of those is the Biodiesel uh, Blenders tax credit. As you know and your listeners know, you know we've been working over the year uh, to try to get that extended. It, it was extended in February for 2017 only, so it was already expired when it was extended, which makes little sense uh, if you're if you're trying to create an incentive to uh, blend more fuel and produce more fuel. So we've been working with our champions on the Hill, engaged with the the House Republicans on the Ways and Means Committee to make our case for long-term certainty, and we're pleased that the chairman of the committee recognized our our uh, ability to grow our industry to pr- produce additional fuel to get it to the marketplace and uh, his decision to include a long-term tax credit in that bill. What, what he's proposed for biodiesel is a seven-year extension, uh, the first four years at the full value of the credit, and then phasing the credit down uh, to, to 33 cents per gallon from a dollar where it is today or where it, where it, where it stands uh, by 2024. And I can't, I can't overstate what this credit would do for our industry to provide seven years of certainty uh, would would be enormous. You know, we've had this credit on the books since 2006. The 2006 enactment was the longest time it's ever been in place forward-looking, and it's been off more than it's been on and done retroactively. So to provide our industry, which has so many areas trade or with, with tax, to provide this industry with seven years of 
certainty would would be an enormous boon to to our producers, our feedstock growers, uh, the marketers, um, uh, the convenience stores and truck stops who market the fuel, and and most importantly the consumers who would benefit. So we're we're working as hard as we can to try to get um, this provision across the finish line here in the the last couple of weeks of the session. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this. Of all the different factors, and there are a lot of important issues, RFS and a lot of other things, this one action, if you could get certainty on the on the blender's tax credit, this could be the biggest boost of all, the most important item of all for the industry moving forward. That's right. I mean, if you look at the history of our industry, I mean, biodiesel has existed in the National Biodiesel Board since the mid-'90s. But beginning in about 2005, with the advent of the tax credit, and then 2007, uh, the RFS, you know, the industry has grown from essentially 100 million gallons in 2005 to, you know, a capacity over well over 3 billion and a product, domestic production level, uh, you know, 2.8 billion. So we've done enormous things in just 10 years with all of these policy uncertainties. Imagine what we can do with certainty in, in one area. And like you said, you know, we've got uncertainty with the RFS and other areas, but to be able to get one of our federal policies on a long-term uh, foothold w- would just do great things. So, you know, enormous credit is due to all of our uh, Republican and Democrat champions in the House and Senate. You know, in the Senate, we've got Senator Grassley, Senator Thune, and Senator Roberts, who, who worked really hard to make sure this was a high priority, and we're, we're able to get this extension and, and just to compare it to the other extensions that are in the bill, uh, out of the 25, uh, all of them but two are given just an extension for 2018. A railroad uh, imp- maintenance and improvement provision was given permanence, and ours was given a seven-year extension. So we feel very, very good about where we're at. We just have to work hard and, and get it across the finish line over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, where does that stand, I mean, as far as, you know, when that might come up for a vote at this point? Yes, so the House was expected to hold a vote on the bill today. Uh, They postponed that vote. I don't know if they set a timeline, but we expect it to happen next week. We don't we don't view that uh, to be a a serious concern about the contents of the bill. It was more logistics of having enough members in town on a Friday uh, to vote on the bill. So we're we're hopeful that they can pass it next week. Um, it has been met with some degree of resistance, both in the House and the Senate, among Democrats, uh, not necessarily on the substance of the bill, uh, but more on the process, and that, that Democrats weren't included in putting it together. But we hope at the end of the day to make the case that, listen, you know, regardless of how the bill came about and regardless of what you may think about uh, the process, you know, this, this provision is Im- incredibly important to our industry. And we've got so much support in both the House and the Senate that we would hate for them to to let partisan, uh, you know, antics prevent it from getting across the finish line when it means so much to us. And quite frankly, you know, when a new Congress comes in in January um, and a new chairman of the, of the Senate Finance Committee, there's no telling how quickly they'll be able to put together a tax bill uh, that gets the president's signature. So if we if we go into 2019 without an extension, you know, it may be the fall of 2019 before we see a reasonable opportunity uh, to get any kind of extension. So that's why it's critically important to get it done now. I would encourage any of your listeners who support, you know, America's soybean farmers or the biodiesel industry can go to our website, biodiesel.org. We've got a fueling action center there with one click. They can send a letter to their uh, three representatives asking them to support the extension. Yeah. 
need to get that done now for sure. All right, Kurt, uh, we'll talk again in the near future about the RFS numbers that are coming out today and uh, get your reaction yes. to those and, 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 keep, and keep a close watch on this tax credit. So we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Right. You too. Kurt Kavarik. He's the Vice President, Public Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. So that's a critical issue for the biodiesel industry. We'll be talking about that and more on Monday with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. We'll also be uh, looking at uh, this weekend's uh, G20 Summit and what comes out of that and its impact on uh, ag trade moving forward. A lot going on. Well, that does it for today. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hope you'll join us again on Monday on Adams on Agriculture.